Hello and welcome to School Growth Mastery, produced by Enroll Hand, where we help schools, preschools, colleges and universities find their voice, connect with their ideal parents and grow their enrollment. We will bring on a diverse list of guests from school heads, admissions officers, marketing experts, parents and more, each with a unique insight into how you should grow your school in this changing landscape. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I'm joined by Joe Erpeldi, the principal of Design 39 Campus, and he is not a normal principal. In fact, you can't find him in the principal's office because there isn't one. Design 39 is a public public school in Poway Unified School District in San Diego, California. This is a school like no other. If you want to see how a learner-centered school operates, you need to visit. In fact, Joe receives over 150 school visits a year, and he's more than happy to pay it forward. Energy and excitement are everywhere. Students are completely in charge of their own learning. This is a school from the future, and it is a public school with public school funding. How does Joe and his team do it? Listen in and find out. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on today. I read somewhere, Joe, that at Design 39 Campus, you're currently receiving over 150 tours a year, mostly from other educators. Is that true? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, it's it's one of our missions, actually, to kind of expand this education idea. Um, and we can't just keep it to ourselves. And some of the greatest inspiration comes from uh, seeing what others are doing. Um, and I kind of think that the conference sessions are played out now where the actual learning happens by go, going to visit other sites. I don't think I've ever heard of that higher number. So you, you obviously have something special going on. Why do you think, and you know, that'll lead to a long conversation, but why do you think so many uh, school leaders are coming to see what you're doing at Design 39 Campus? Yeah, they're really hungry for the uh, the how of things now. I think the why is pretty well developed that we can't have these automatrons and this conveyor belt education, this singular focus, that we really have to have a different way of doing that. But yet getting to the how of that is a piece that people are really hungry for. And so when uh, you need to be able to kind of sometimes touch it and see it, uh, what it looks like, specifically, it's quite fascinating for a school like ours that's inside of a, we have to say it twice, it's a public, public school so it's yeah. a 30 night school in the district, 20, uh, 37,000 kids. And here we are operating within a public um, entity. And that's quite fascinating and engaging as well. So really, they're looking for the how do you make this work with your educators, the systems, the structures, the language, all those things. And do you do you see that there are some uh, question that questions that come up again and again and that form a sort of pattern from the visitors? Yeah, there really is. Uh, one of them is around how do you kind of navigate the fear when uh, educators are looking at doing something different? It's not because they, they wake up in the morning and say, hi, I'm going to make this a terrible day for kids. It's really, how do I make it an awesome day for kids? And there's a great fear that when you're changing your instructional design, um, am I going to be successful in that new space? So that's where that growth mindset comes from. Uh, really around structures too. People want to understand how do you hack structures? Um, how do you navigate the new design thinking world? Um, this kind of lives inside the business space, but yet to see design thinking happening all the way at kindergarten here at our site, um, all the way up through eighth grade. 
So that design thinking, uh, how do you personalize education, making it relevant? Um, and mostly just, you know, the idea of uh, how do you just hack education in a way that doesn't leave people behind, that includes the uh, uh, entirety of the system, your parents, um, your community members, obviously, and the teachers and students. So I think just that whole structural change is a big piece. Yeah, that's that's extremely interesting. And if we take, I'd say, the the fear question, I think is is very very. Uh, I hear it a lot too, you know, in different contexts. Context. How how do you navigate the fear? How do you answer? Yeah, that I, thank you. Yeah, the piece that we kind of call it. You have to be a fud buster. So fud is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And fear is a massive like paralyzer. So you have to understand, and we use the design thinking process, that's the empathy stage to really understand deeply what is their concern, what is it that um, is kind of blocking them from feeling like they can try something new and different. And then understanding that, and then so some of the strategies we use is, I call it your 10%. So how do you get to them to say that I am a learner, and I'm willing to try something new, and it's my best version yet? And allowing them to kind of move forward through that uncertainty, ultimately doubt that, ah, will you be there for me? Will you catch me? Will you stand there behind me? And that's that trust piece, um, part of the culture. Um, I would share that, you know, your culture will eat your strategy all day long. So if you're not, you know, strong in terms of how you support and network with each other and know that people are going to do their best work, um, that allows them to kind of navigate through that fear. A couple of things I want to ask you on that. So, um you mentioned design thinking a, a couple of times. It's in the name as well. I'm not sure everyone knows what that is. So, um, one discussion we were having we were having recently a discussion with Tom Van Der Ark, who you've been on Getting Smart podcast. I know that he, he was telling me that he finds thriving schools focus a lot on just a few ideas that mean a lot to them. They're, they're not trying to be everything to everyone. That's a principle we talk about a lot here when we link stuff to messaging, marketing, growth. Your you know, core idea seems to be design thinking. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And specifically human-centered design. When we first launched this space, we have still eight guiding principles. At the heart of that is design thinking. So I would still share that we have seven too many guiding principles. There's really truly one, and that is design. And underneath that comes inquiry and personalization, global connections, all those other kind of really sophisticated guiding principles that we have, yet we have one singular focus, which is design. I mean, your school has been getting a lot of press, again, over 150 tours a year. The, 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 the students, the families that want to come to your school every year is, is a huge amount. I don't know if you count the people who are applying to the lottery or not. Yeah, and it hasn't always been that way. Uh, I'm actually the second principal. I came the second year. That year, we lost 14 teachers, 150 students left um, for a variety of reasons. It's always kind of fun to talk about the pain points. Um, so it doesn't always feel that way. Uh, yes, right now we have a waiting list of over 500 kids um, for just very few spots. So it's been a transition in our five years to kind of get to this space where it's you know highly sought after. Um, and a lot of that is just navigating through you know, our own culture uh, that we had. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a fun space to be in, to see that transformation happen even within a uh, designed campus that was meant to be different. 
But yeah, it's, there were some really painful points. So it sounds to me a bit like a, you know, a hero's journey where at first there's, there's you know, problems and kind of we go through uh, a difficult period and overcome that. Can you maybe, if that's, if that's how it was, uh, feel free to, to explain otherwise, please describe uh, how it was briefly since you came, you know, people were leaving and what was it that it was the core that turned things around? Was it that core focus on design thinking, on empathy? Was it something else? Obviously, it's not as simple and you can't really explain it in a few minutes, but, you know, what's the what's the sketch of that journey? Yeah, I appreciate that hero's journey reflection. We also use like the the episode one, episode two, like the whole Star Wars yeah. trilogy, Star right? Star Wars Where is actually... The new frontiers. Yeah. Star Wars is, is the, <laughs> Super the epitome of the hero's journey, actually. it's, it's Yes, it sure is. And so that was our same journey, you know, that really excitement. Everybody's coming in this shiny new building. And then once the reality hits, is parents are looking for a different, like, ideal, honestly. Their education didn't look this way. And so that disorientation, um, really, we need to understand and kind of connect. So what helped us turn the corner, kind of pivot off of that, was connecting with Education Reimagined. And what that did is share for us and our families that there's a tremendous paradigm shift. And what I mean about that is just the context within which you see the world and education. And our pivot was from student-centered learning to a learner-centered model. And that's a quite sophisticated thing to talk about in two <laughs> minutes. But the idea is as a, a student-centered, it sounds quite beautiful, right? I'm doing this for the kid. The reality is that's the problem. The problem is I can continue to do the same thing I've always done. I can pull out my September tub and teach from page 50 to page 51 because I'm doing it for the kid. But if I'm a learner, I fundamentally can't do the same thing. I have to audit and check. And everyone's a learner, the student, the teachers, the community. And so that pivot helped us really understand like what we needed to communicate to our families and how we might navigate that together using empathy. And Education Reimagined helped us get some kind of simple language around knowledge, skills, and dispositions uh, that really help us kind of identify for our learners. So that was the pivot for us, having some agreed upon language that just not Design 39 Campus is using, but a consortium of schools like us that are trying to transform education. And, and it seems from what you're saying that, you know, engaging with parents and parent communication played a huge role. And plays a huge role in a lot of the schools we work with or talk to as well. How did you, you know, how did you start tackling uh, parent engagement when you when you came on board? Yeah, it was it was there in its DNA. Um, prior to the school launching, there were seventeen different community forums that engaged the parents and students and admin and teachers. And so that was always part of our DNA. So constantly having these parent forums where we're putting a question up: What if? what might happen. And those just kind of open-ended questions allowed our families to re-engage with us. And then we listen and we say, hey, we're going to pivot on this particular point and then showcase that uh, their their feedback is part of our overall kind of ecosystem that we will like change courses based off of that feedback. And then also helping parents understand that this education isn't their education, that it's a different era and that we're still heading in the same North Star direction of, you know, happy and healthy kids that ultimately can, you know, elevate humanity for us. And so there, there's a shared interest at that point. But it's really around this community forums, bringing parents in and asking authentic questions and listening deeply and making some course corrections based off of their feedback. 
And and it seems from this point you just made, but also, you know, previously you said culture eats strategy um, for lunch, I think it is. I can't remember the exact quote. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you sure does. uh, I, I was also reading something else about how you use spaces very differently. And I was thinking... Who tidies up? But but I think I think you don't care about that, right? You rely on culture a lot to to deal with those sorts of you know petty issues that others might think of. How how explain a little bit how how that works at Design Thirty Nine? Yeah, if I heard you correctly, like who tidies up? Is yeah, that what who you tidy- I mean, everyone doesn't really have classrooms, <laughs> from what I understand. So you can yeah. kind of learn everywhere. So I'm, I'm thinking this must be a mess. <laughs> who tidies up? Yeah, well, it's, it's a pain point Yeah, when it's used by everyone and owned yeah. by no one. Right? Yeah. Who owns it, actually, ultimately? We learned a lot from the D schools, actually, when we went up to Stanford and looked at, well, they have one sign that says, basically, plus one, make the space better than you found it. And so that's kind of the ideal, right? Is is There's community agreements around, we call it reset. What does a reset look like? And so understanding how that space needs to be defined. Because our tables flip and nest and the learning spaces versus classrooms. So these learning spaces then are used and can be redesigned based off of the need. And so we have single classrooms, double classrooms, large collaboration spaces, um, kind of the best of all those, um, like a design studios, all kinds of different engaging uh, environments that allow students to be inspired and all the educators to be inspired. So it's really around reset and what's the culture of that. We have working agreements that all of our students create. Every time there's a new new grouping or configuration, we design a, a working agreement, basically norms um, that we all uh, can hold each other to. So when you're talking about these working agreements, these norms, what I'm getting as, as a feeling, as a sense, and I, I bet you a lot of the parents are doing the same, is this sounds like the future. This sounds like how my children are going to need to collaborate with their peers in the future. It's much more fluid. It's much more, you know, they, they have responsibility, uh, ownership of, of their learning and all that. And kind of the way they're, they're engaging and structuring their relationships are, is also quite, quite fresh and, and innovative. Is that, you know, part of the appeal that you guys are having and kind of the 150 tours from educators, the 500 student waiting list? Is that the fact that you're tackling problems in a very different way? Do you think that's part of the appeal? I think so. I actually went up to Google, the Google campus, uh, and I I hacked one of their bikes and I I gave it back. So just so you know, and I just cruised around and I was like, how does anything get done around Google? People are walking everywhere. There's no structure. There's no lines like you would have typical school. It was completely organic. And what I realized, you know, coming back and, seeing what's happening on our campus, when people tour, what they're noticing is like, how in the world did you get such amazing student agency? Where students are navigating, they're partnering up, they're in their own spaces, there's teachers that are helping support, there are like small group instruction, but like this massive level of student agency that they're taking in charge of their own learning. And that's what I saw on the Google campus. They're taking charge of like their project and their, their those different domains that they're excited about. And they have their own time to kind of explore and be thoughtful and creative. And then deep knowledge base. Um, so those are things that are kind of really fascinating at Design39 is this student agency is something we really doubled down on. So I was going to ask you, and actually you sort of answered already, because 
Um, I, I heard somewhere on that while doing my research for this for this discussion that you know while you've already done so much and you're getting all these people coming to see what you you guys have done, your team has done. You're also and you you're sending your team out for tours still. So you find tours of other schools are still very important. Is that true? That is correct. We actually call it Project Beep Beep. It's kind of like a inside joke. Uh, you know, you get in the car, beep beep, just kind of honking. You're like going out and going for an adventure. And so, yeah, this last year, every single educator from our campus, you know, went on a, a day's journey to different campuses throughout just to see and be inspired. And you can go to a really crappy school. Sorry. You can go to a really crappy school and get inspired and kind of say like, I'm not going to do that thing, but I want to make sure our kids can do this thing. And so, the biggest part of that that journey and going out outside of yourself is actually the time you spend with your other educators. I can tell you, it is not a thing that happens across the country when it comes to touring other sites. We had a recent teacher hire. She's um, been 25 years in education. This year was her first time she's ever toured another campus, ever. It's just not part of the uh, public school uh, ecosystem. You're in your own space. You're in your own silo. You don't have any idea what else is going out in the world. And that's a massive problem as well. So let's get people out. Let's go see and share and be like well, the whole idea of being a public school system is learning from each other. It's a social justice issue. So let's make I'm it happen. I'm hearing the objections already on the forums, on the kind of in people's mind. I, I think objections are around time. How do we get the time uh, where, you know, teachers are fully loaded, they don't have the time, and then budget, uh, travel budget, schools. But you're, I mean, you're a public school, you have a public school, public, public school budget. Uh, so what would you say to right. the naysayers saying, I don't have the time, I don't have the budget to do tours? Yeah, part of it, I w- I've been described as 85% visionary and 15% pissed off. So part of it is the pissed off piece is that um, time is for morons. Time is actually the thing that is an excuse. Bill Gates and myself have the same amount of time. It's 24 hours. It's how we choose to hack it. And so the piece around that is we put so many darn structures in that actually are barriers to innovation. And so we have to really look at how we've designed our own time to make that happen. So we have 24 hours. What do we choose to do with it? And then hack that apart and create uh, new opportunities. Budgets are relative. Basically, you have to find people who are interested in what you're doing, from your parent groups to uh, grants to your own innovations. We have money. Every school has money. There's, for goodness sakes, what, $70 billion invested in California public schools. Um, It's just invested in a lot of bureaucracies. So you have to really be bold and audacious. Um, What I mean by that is where you're about ready to vomit on your shoes, then you actually might be doing something that's worthwhile. Got it. So, so, and I, I appreciate the the pissed off part, uh, and I, I kind of I think strong emotion is necessary to kind of break through these bureaucracies. I, I when I was looking around, I digged up, I found online a, a school accountability report card for Design Thirty Nine. I think it's two thousand sixteen. It's on on the internet, and I was reading through it, and I was just thinking that it doesn't capture at all. The, the magic that I'm hearing on podcasts, articles, or videos, you, you have a lot of great videos. Are you frustrated or pissed off, as you said, by you know, interacting with you know, st- state needs, state priorities, or is it something easy, something you've hacked, something that 
other other schools can hack because I'm hearing a lot. Actually, I'm getting so much pressure, testing scores, I can't innovate. Yeah, I mean, it depends on California. where you are in Say California. kind of your. Yeah, right. We're in California, so we have to take this this the test. That's not an option. One of the things too that I overcorrected on was assuming that parents didn't really care coming to this setting that they didn't care about test scores they yeah. actually deeply do and they just yeah. <laughs> in our 17 forums we have all these design boards up not one of the boards said i want an awesome test taker for my kid it's not but if i don't show within the first four slides how our kids are doing on testing that can't listen to the other 50 amazing things we're doing because they have to be able to check that first box is my kid able to read is my kid able to write and formulate good structures of sentences and all that Right. Of course they have to. It's the and part that we're really working on is, yes, they have deep knowledge, skills, dispositions, and they can apply it in new and novel ways. So, yes, we have to you know, pay attention to those things. You can't disconnect that from your parents because, you know, at the end of the day, that's still a matrix that, that exists. Um, unfortunately, public schools are terrible at telling their stories of all the other amazing things they're doing. So we have to be good storytellers around the things that aren't noticed in the newspaper outside of test scores. And so then make that the new normal, because the only normal we have is what state bureaucracies say it matters is that's a score. And I can tell you, our kids are much more diverse than a score. So it's about spinning a couple of plates. Like you, you, you care about scores, you manage that, you have to. Um, but at the same time, you're trying to push push the attention elsewhere through storytelling and, and kind of... Uh, a lot of people say schools are hotbeds of stories, so you have to kind of learn how to reveal those. Correct, and get kids out telling those stories. It's usually adults that are telling all the stories. So how do you get kids kind of part of that that process? Because ultimately, they're the ones that are going to change the world, not you and me, no. unfortunately. So hypothetical question. You, you become a principal in a new school, a new district, very traditional in terms of how things are set up, in terms of uh, all the stakeholders. How do you start reimagining education in that new school if you had to do it from scratch? And I, I bet I've, you've been asked that before, but I'm very interested in that. Yeah, I, the the first year and a half, I filled up like four different notebooks just talking to people and understanding what are their hopes and dreams, and ultimately, what are we trying to create here. Um, and then double down on the things that we were originally were designed for. So each community has their own ecosystem. And so it's not about creating another Design 39 campus in that next space. It's creating what is it that that ecosystem needs to thrive. And there's all kinds of things that are already going on successfully within that community that just haven't been amplified. So you have to kind of look under the rocks and actually be willing to look at the ugly things, like good to great, and say, you know, it's it's not just about what I want to do. It's about what is the community engaged in and how do we facilitate that? And so we all have ownership in the process versus pointing fingers. We need to point fingers back at ourselves and say, how are we collectively going to shape the future? And that's kind of our tagline. The future is the place we create, like with the focus on we create it. We don't wait for someone else to do it. And so the first step is really just talking to people. We've kind of lost humanity through social media and all that stuff. And so we have to really do the hard work of just communicating and talking and investing. And in so people. if we kind of dug a bit deeper and tried to 
like find some examples. So you would go out and talk to to whom? To like parents for sure, but I guess also businesses. You went to Google. So if you were in another part of the country, you'd go to local businesses, I imagine. Well, right in the middle of that right now, we're actually thinking about, because we go up to eighth grade, so we think that's not big enough. So we're in the process of right now of what might happen if we expanded school beyond eighth grade. And so I have no idea, you know, call it a certain name, it doesn't matter. So we're investing with time with industry. What is it they need? We're talking with professors from colleges. We're looking at um, uh, local businesses. We're talking with kids. We're talking with high school students. We're talking with counselors. So we're talking with everybody in our ecosystem and understanding what is, you know, that profile of a future student need to look like. And specifically when we're looking at industry, industry says, you know, if we go scale back a little bit, hey, educators, how do you feel that your kids are doing in the, the world of work? And they will say, ah, 85% of our kids are doing pretty good. You ask industry, 11%. And so our kids can't think. They're not critical um, in terms of their design. Um, they want a formulaic problem-solving process. So we're looking for ways that also are the pain points. You know, there's massive pressure for this college stuff, and they have massive debt. And then they come out of it hoping that they have this beautiful job, mm. and it doesn't exist. And so we have to really kind of connect the dots between the realities of the world that's in front of us and the reality of what education was set up to do. And so we have to talk to a lot of people, especially in this new era, um, that look different than what we've done before. So we're right in the middle of that process because we're looking at designing uh, the next phase of, of the work. In I'm Palo guessing you're following a you know, design thinking approach doing that, right? <laughs> uh, that's right. Uh, we have three forums coming up, um, engaging the community. Basically, what what does high school look like, or what what you know? What if high school was a place where? That's really the question. So, what if high school was a place where? And we even feel like the the, the name high school is actually kind of constraining in itself. So, but it, it gets people to start you talking. You use a lot of uh, different vocabulary. Um, so you 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 name things differently. Teachers aren't teachers, right? What, why is that? Is that to kind of liberate the thought process? To Why do you do that? We use language so freely in, in society. We all think we're talking about the same thing and we all have our own bias towards those words like rigor. I think of rigor. I think of rigor mortis, right? So we have different words that we all think are really powerful but have no clue of what we're talking about. So if we actually change the word like Come to the welcome center. Well, what's the welcome center? Well, most people say the office. Well, in the office, there must be a principal's office. Well, there's no principal's office in our welcome center. There is no principal's office at Design 39 campus. Like, what's a loft? What happens inside of a showcase? You know, what's a servery? Like, all these different names. So if you change the language, you change the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're trying to do. So while you're getting so much appeal, you're changing the conversation, you're tackling known old problems in a very new way. And people need to see that because they're having these same issues. They're frustrated. They're, they know things aren't, they, they know deep inside that it does, it's not working right now. Even if, even if they're interested in test scores, they kind of know school doesn't work. So, you know, they're saying, oh, this is a new way to solve school. If I simplify it and everyone's coming to see what you guys are doing. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, because I don't have any principal's office here, I can go out and cruise around and 
kind of think new big ideas. On my little backpack that I have, it has a little button, a button that's connected to it. And let me read it to you. It's a button and it says, make ideas happen. A lot of people have ideas, tremendous amount of ideas, but they just live in their head. They're just dreams. So it's the really the people who are actually going to go do the hard work. Those are the people that get me excited. That And those are the people I get to work with on a daily basis. We call them learning experience designers. You know, our parents and our students, they make ideas happen. Those are the people that are going to change the world. And you that's what I want to hang book out with. That's uh, making ideas happen. I think I read it. I'm not sure. By a guy, uh, Scott Belsky. Do you know Scott Belsky? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of good books. Another another good book is, yeah. you know, Ego is the Enemy. I, I was reading this the other day. It was on my bedstand. Yep. And my wife says, hey, I know what that book's about. And I said, you did? Did you read it, honey? She said, no, <laughs> just don't be so full of yourself. All right, perfect. <laughs> right? It's our best version yet. And, you know, it's it's a pile of crap, but it just happens to be the best pile of crap that's out there right now. And so we can't be so full of ourselves that we're not ready to, like, change. And so, um, you know, we're always really easy to be critical of other people. and The thing is that folks are have a tough time looking in the mirror. Any parting thoughts, Joe? The audience, they're looking to uh, grow their school, make their school relevant, uh, put it on the map. Um, They want to impact their community. They have really honest and and true uh, objectives. Uh, They want to be relevant and and, help the community grow and grow their school in, in the meantime. And they're looking to you because you've done it um, in a public, public school setting. What are your like parting thoughts? What would you uh, advise um, the audience to do? School principals, basically, and school leaders. Yeah. So so number one, ask this question. Well, there's maybe two questions, if I may. What is your goal in one sentence without using the word and? So what's your goal in one sentence without using the word and? Most of the time, people have multiple goals. Second question is, are students doing the work because the, the school asked them to do it? Are the students doing the work because they wanted to do it? The thirdly is, as in, if you're in administration, are you teaching? So are you actually getting into a class and are you teaching on a regular basis? I teach two classes a year. And so that really humbles you how challenging it is to be a teacher. And so partnering up and rolling up your sleeves and all the reasons you got into education to begin with, you get so jaded when you you go outside of the educational sphere. Um, so getting in, teaching a class, understanding how challenging it is, and ultimately letting go is really, really challenging. So how do you let go? Because if you're saying, am I giving my teachers enough freedom? It means you're not giving them enough. Thank Those you, Joe. Very thoughts. inspiring. A uh, real uh, example, uh, kind of shining example for us all. Thank you so much and keep up the good work. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enrollhand. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way, more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.